Before we start the show, next time on Irishman Running Abroad, we're going to be talking about people who, in spite of the biggest challenges imaginable, are still running. Do you know someone who is a runner against all the odds? We want to hear their stories. Is that you? Are you someone running against all the odds? Do people look at you and go, how are you running after everything you've been through? We want to hear from you. Podcast at gmail.com. Last week's show was all about my day at the Dublin City Marathon. I put the call out to hear your stories from the day. And boy, did you hear the call. You flooded the inbox with your tales of triumph and disaster. Emails from all over the world that flipping moved me to tears at times, we'll be honest. The GOAT, Sonia Sullivan, is on the line, so let's go. Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonia Sullivan is going to take the world title. Sonia, I'm fresh from watching uh, Ireland's Fittest Family on RTE. Holy moly, what a show that is. <laughs> I, thought the, I thought the marathon was a roller coaster of emotions. Oh my God. This was the episode, of, I don't know if you saw the episode that it was, but it was the one where you had somebody in the eliminator against Davy Fitz and right. they, they nearly caught you at the end. Is, is it like this every week? Which, which family was it? Oh, I don't know the names. All I know is that Paula was the fam- the member of Davy Fitz's family who couldn't swim and was being forced to <laughs> go across these lily pads. And I was going, is there a lifeguard nearby? <laughs> and all Davy Fitz is shouting is, go faster, go faster. <laughs> and I was like, we've talked about your coaching strategy. You're very vocal on it. I was surprised that you weren't just going, lads, this isn't fast enough. <laughs> Did you have to get more vocal or do you just find yourself in it a lot more? Um, well, I don't know. Did you watch last week or this is the first week? This is the first week I've got to see full. Yeah, I think I might have been quieter last week and yeah. then I worked it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They need you. They need you just like the Dublin crowds last Sunday. Yeah. They need yeah. you shouting at them, did they? You have to actually kind of immerse yourself in it and, you know, it's like you're actually doing it. Yeah. Um, to the point where you want to actually get up the ramp or push them up the ramp you know you have to hold yourself back <laughs> so i'm trying to remember who was in the eliminator then was it i thought it was the burns on this week but then i see i'm following it on twitter and instagram and what people are posting now i'll get mm. a copy of it t- later today and i'll be able to watch it yeah uh, but um oh, well, it's really well put together regardless of <laughs> what happens I mean, Donico Callahan is one of the other coaches. Uh, you know, he's spray tanned up to the hilt, as you would expect. <laughs> he's so much fun apparently on the show. He was, he was just back from his holidays in France. Oh, sure he was. He got, <laughs> I mean, this guy is always on holidays. He is the, the most tanned man in Ireland. Uh, and Nina Carberry is there as, as well. It's a fun show. I can't wait to see how it uh, how it breaks down <laughs> but uh you know i, I did I, I, like you're the new kid in, in the class this is the thing i bet there's a fitting in part of it as well you were you were saying that now you feel part of eva family through i bet there was a little bit of that yeah i mean you have to kind of figure out i suppose your place and how you manage yourself and how you re- you react to the other coaches as well because mm. You know, at the end of the day, it's a TV show. <laughs> <And Yeah. laughs> it's entertainment. Yes. So, 
you know, we're not actually out there to kill each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what else was massive entertainment today. We're recording this on Sunday, the New York City Marathon. Shout out to everybody who did it in the most perfect conditions. 50,000 people ran this thing. Not a whisper of a wind, Sonia. The women's race was fascinating for so many reasons, not least the mad dash for the finish line. The winner, Helen O'Beary, two hours, 27 minutes, 23 seconds. Sonia, her final 800 metres was two minutes, 25, going uphill. Like, that's bananas on every level, is it? <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? But as soon as you say 225, I go, okay, that's 450 mile pace. No, it's yeah. not too much. It's but not I crazy. No, I mean, it's what she can do. I mean, I thought you were going to say two minutes or something. Um, because she's a really was a really good track runner. Was so she? And about two minutes for 800 at one point. Um, but yeah, I mean, athletes like that. No, I mean, 450 mile pace is, yeah, it's fast. At the end, end of, a, of marathon. a marathon, yeah. But in, you know, in general training terms, I mean, yeah. that's 72 seconds a lap, which is like 448. Yeah, people can do that. And mm. they, you know, and they actually, what was really surprising was on such a perfect day, and even though there is a lot of undulations and hills in the New York course, the women, they actually were running at what I'm sure Tim Hutchings commentating on Eurosport would have been calling a pedestrian pace. Um, it was relative to what they're capable of. It was very, very slow for the first half. And it actually didn't even pick up that much in the second half. The second half was just one minute quicker. And you've run it, of course. You've run the New York City Marathon. How did you find that as a course? I mean, there's a lot of talk about the various different hills on it. What was your experience of it? Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty tough course. I mean, there's no super big hills, but there's a lot of undulations and there's a lot of bridges that you have to get over. And, you know, you go up one hill and down the other hill, down the other side of the bridge. Um, so it's one of these courses that, at least they will train for it. Mm. They'll do some of their training over hilly, undulating courses rather than flat, fast stuff. And um, I mean, Helen O'Beary, there was reports last week that she was training the house down and, you know, by all accounts, has run a hell of a lot faster in training than she did today. So it was just a easy run for her today. Um, but, you know, I think she was maybe third place last year in New York. Um, she... I think won the Boston Marathon. Um, mm. So she's been doing really well, you know, since she transferred over to the marathon. Trains super hard. And, you know, you can even see in her running style, like she gives it everything at the end. The arms go everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you, there's been a few developments in terms of our own marathon here. Dublin Marathon is told to find a new route for next year over traffic disruption and inconvenience to commuters. This is a headline from the Irish it's Independent. On exactly. <laughs> Dublin Marathon officials claim that local authority told them to find a new venue outside the city centre for the start and finish of next year's race. I couldn't believe this. It wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same buzz at all. Um, it could be a massive change, though, if, if that took place. We may have run the last Dublin City Marathon to take place on the old course. What do you think the chances are of that actually happening? Or is this just one of those ones where a councillor is trying to make a name for himself? I actually just saw Ian O'Reardon tweeting today that Dublin needs to follow the footsteps of 
New York and to include more of the city and, you know, run yeah. through more of the city streets and be a proper, you know, mm. Dublin city marathon. What do you make of that? What, what would you think of that? Oh, that would be fantastic. It's so much better when, I mean, it's one of those things that you just have to accept that the city is shut down today. That's it. Mm. And the story and you get everybody involved. I mean, in New York, you look at all the reports and I, I well, I was trying to find different ways of watching it this morning. And I end up kept coming back to the New York News Channel. So I was getting all the interviews with the local police and um, the, you know the medical team, and you know it's like all the people on the ground are they're they're doing a different version of their normal job on Marathon Sunday, hmm. and they just embrace it. And you know it's part of the city, and I think that's the thing that Dublin needs to do is they need to embrace the marathon, see it for what it is and, and see the value of it, not just kind of say, Oh yeah, we're bringing all these people in. They're going to stay in the hotels, go to the restaurants, you know, spend a lot of money, but we really, we're not going to make them feel welcome. So Mm, this is true. I I mean, you know, it needs to be embraced more and, and built up more. And, you know, even they can probably accept more entries because there's such a fall off of entries of people who don't turn up that you should be able to account for that in the entry system whereby if the limit is 22 and a half thousand you should be able to accept at least 25,000 yeah entry. and there should be a method through which you can change and move your entry across to other people that's a little less cumbersome and inconvenient than the one that's there it just it seems like it's lagging behind if i was to look at it from the perspective of somebody who's in events and in ticketed events, it does look pretty backward that it's stuck in the past a little bit. And probably if it ain't broke, don't fix it is the method that's been taken in relation to it. So we'll see how it develops. But a lot of people are are not going to feel the same way about it if it's run on a different course. But I guess when change has to happen at some point doesn't it i mean as you said it wasn't always this course the one that you won finished in smithfield yeah but that was because the lewis was being ah, made whatever developed yeah. built so that some of the streets were out of action um but it'd be interesting to have you know a project for people to input their vision for a dublin marathon course i mean did you feel like you were running in the city or just starting and finish and then I mean as it, is, it feels like a loop of it doesn't it it feels like a loop around it I mean the definitely the, uh, you could design a course that's much more reflective of the city itself like if you went by Guinness that would be this obvious one to go by right uh, Dublin Castle as obviously you mm-hmm. see a little bit of Dublin Castle city walls there's certain landmarks that you'd love to see included It certainly isn't, uh, you know, a guided tour around the city. And maybe if it is kept a bit more central, you could get a better sense of that. And maybe we could avoid some of the hills that uh, cost us our lives last Sunday. Let's get straight into these emails because, you know, the power of this event as we head into our second week discussing it is the people and the community and an email that we received this week that reminds us that the marathon is a group event and not a solo endeavor uh, comes from Jennifer Jones. She says, hi, Jonathan, Sonia, first of all, well done to you. And thanks once again for the inspirational podcast, which you both provide and helped me 
go. This is her personally saying this. She was unable to run for two minutes to completing this event, thanks to the podcast. You, Sonia and Vinny and others are just such a source of motivation. This is her story. I had initially hoped to finish the marathon in around four hours, 30 minutes, but due to a wee hamstring tear, I had to walk and jog after the 31st kilometer for some time. And then something unbelievable happened. When I realized there was only 7K left, I came up side by side to another runner called Tom, who was also struggling. And the two of us started chatting and willing each other on. And before we knew it, we could see the purple carpet. The pain was gone and the strained face became a smile and the feeling was elevated. I knew then at that moment I would actually stride over the finish line smiling. And that was what I wanted to achieve, albeit in over five hours. But at the end of the day, I was so happy to finish and so proud of the achievement that not only for for myself, but for my sons, and my partner who were there for me every step of the way. This was for me the most exceptionally human experience of my life. The people I met, the power of the people and the power of the mind over matter will remain with me forever. Thanks again, Jennifer Jones. I mean, that was where we left it last week, Sonia, that, uh, you know, you've kind of built a different muscle, uh, Jennifer has there. And I certainly felt last week that when we've done episodes on building toughness, there is no substitute for an experience like this, is there? No, um, I think there's so many different aspects to running a marathon that go beyond just running. That you get to the point and you kind of have to question why you're even doing it. Hmm. And what got you to that point. And then once you start asking those questions and you know, you, you start to think about it, I think, while you're running. And then it carries you on that little bit further down the road. And I think the, the big thing is that you realize that there's such a big, bigger, pick, bigger group of people out there. It's not just you. It's all these other people who are doing it for similar reasons, who listen to the same podcast, who are inspired to get out there every day because um, probably because they know that you know, we're, we're checking up on them occasionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might get a bit of kudos, you know. I think I gave kudos to somebody there last week and uh, it made his day. He couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was like this unexpected kudos from me, yeah. which, yeah, is probably very unexpected. <laughs> I a, mean, that, it's that's... exclusive club out there who get the kudos. Yeah, well, Sonia, you definitely need to be doling out a few more. <laughs> Sonia once showed me how many she receives versus how many she gives away. And it makes for some startling reading. But you're right. The podcast can actually help people through. You've written articles about this in the Irish Times, even through your hardest runs, as Mary Ryan in Australia tells us. She says, hey, Jonathan Sonia, again, huge congratulations on the Dublin City Marathon. I know it wasn't what you planned, but you still finished within the four hour mark. I have no idea how you managed to get all the running done in the first place. She says, I did my first or I did my 80K Bondi to Manly run. Do you know this run, Sonia? How many K? 80. 80. No, certainly puts uh, puts in context my measly 42. She did this at the weekend and she says, I have to say thank you to you and Sonia, because at the 40K mark, I went into a very, very dark hole. So I stuck on Irishman running abroad (laughs) and managed to get myself going again around the 50K mark. 
The last 30 weren't too bad at all. I just needed to hear the sage advice from you guys and just a bit of real speak from Sonia. So thank you so much and hope your recovery goes well and that you're getting a bit more sleep. I'm always struggling with this and this is part of her question here. Definitely the hardest part of training and recovery. Can't wait to listen to the Marathon Podcast again. She says she always listens to them twice. So thanks again, Jarrett and Sonia for Mary Ryan in Australia. Um, Sleep became a chat there last week as we kind of sifted through the rubble. Um, Did you have any time to think during the week, Sonia, about maybe a top tip for getting in the practice of good sleep? Aside from the obvious stuff of phone down two hours beforehand, phone out of the room. Do you believe in any melatonin or any supplements like that that can help? Um, I, I do have melatonin with me all the time, but... I don't use it every night and I will generally only use it if I wake up in the middle of the night. Mm. So I will use it if I can't get back to sleep rather than to put me to sleep. Right. Um, and then, then every now and then I will probably decide maybe I should have some of this before I go to bed and then maybe I won't wake up and have to take it. <laughs> but I don't think that always works either. So my, my biggest tip and the thing that I find the best is to, um, you know, have something to read before you go to bed. Uh, a book preferably like a physical book rather than an ebook with some lights and stuff on it um but i think reading and to get in the the habit of reading is a really good thing before you sleep because it's like a little bit of a i suppose it's part of the routine of putting you to sleep yeah um, the problem is if you have some a really good book and you want to read a lot of it <laughs> you, you don't just, close your eyes you yeah you it kind of anchors you it, yeah. it certainly straightens out the the constant scrolling that is not a restful headspace is it i found this year i was just not reading books at all that i was just listening to them the whole time but yeah i think that's that's a top tip right there i want to read out rachel lyle's email here Last week, you mentioned that maybe I need to talk less and focus more on running the marathon while running the marathon. Not blaming the podcast, but pointing out that trying to spin a load of plates or type on a typewriter while cycling a bike is quite difficult. Uh, Well, Rachel Lyle flipped that on its head. Now, I actually met Rachel. She said, we met at the expo. She said, I have two kids and we were we are from Belfast. My husband and I have a bit of a competitive marathon counting thing going on. He's on 21. I'm at 18, but I shall win, she says. I went into Dublin with no expectations, given that seven weeks before the race, I had surgery under general anaesthetic just seven weeks before. One week later, tragically, my best friend took her own life violently leaving behind a husband and two young sons. Absolutely devastating. Four weeks out, I got COVID. And then Paul, my beloved husband, dropped a sofa on my back. I mean, there's so much in that paragraph. First of all, I am so sorry for your loss. Uh, But like, I mean, Paul, how? He told me this at the expo, that she was recuperating on the couch and he decided he would try and move the couch by himself and ended up dropping it on top of her on the couch. Like, this is some dark comedy in here, but uh, she says, I missed two full weeks of training 
because of the COVID and the couch dropping and had three weeks of taper. So really only managed two out of the last four weeks. And I only did one long run. And she said I cried during it as my friend had died just the day before. I mean, this is the most unbelievable email I've ever received, it has to be said. I wasn't planning on running, but the sheer crack in the Irishman Running Abroad WhatsApp group, which you're all free to join, just email me irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com, got me going along with your podcast stuff going on going wrong, on what can go wrong, and having a bad session off I trotted to Dublin. I decided I would run in memory of Vanessa, my friend, and I would talk about her. I wanted her name to ring out in the streets of Dublin, so I did. Every person I saw with a shirt that mentioned a loved one, I ran up to them and I spoke to them, and I learned about their sisters, their godfathers, their fathers, all loved and missed. I like to chat in the race, so I bored everyone with my tales, but it got me round. I knew I'd never run a PB given what I had been through. But the joy of the streets of Dublin got me around in 3.48, which is an insane time. So whilst the second half was pretty ugly, as I wasn't fit, I did it. Marathon is a peculiar beast. You have to respect it or it'll eat you up and spit you out. I've learned that very, very hard way over the years, but I will still be back for more as there is nothing better than the sport the runners themselves keep her lit. Now on to Belfast 2024. Sonia, what can you say to an email like that? I know it's it's amazing really, isn't it? I said she probably was just living it one thing at a time and you don't realise everything that's going on until you actually reflect back and write it all down. Yeah, get it all on paper. so much going on, you know, one after another. Ah. And then she had the marathon hanging over her the whole time. like yeah. oh And a couch God. on top of her. Uh, I mean, I mean it, poor, the poor old like, Paul. Like, we need a video of that. <laughs> How did that happen? So what is the, what's the worst thing that Nick has ever done to you uh, physically? Because I can think of one time Tina yeah. slammed my hand in a car door that I was attempting to get out of the car. So I was in the driver's seat and I reached around to hold on to the door frame to get out, you know, as you do. She was taking Mikey out of the back seat, the baby seat, and she slammed the door with my hand in it. And I mean, not in like the spongy rubber door frame bit. My hand was in the hinge of the car door. I'm laughing about it now, but I literally could see my fingers on the other side of the door, my hand in the door. And I'm (laughs) shouting at Tina in the middle of Blanchardstown Car Park. The fucking, the fucking, the fucking. (laughs) She had thrown a nappy bag on the ground in the moment just to pick Mikey up to get him out of the car. And she's like, okay, I'll pick it up. Oh my God, I'm not littering. And like, my fucking hand is in the door. (laughs) I swear to God, Sonia, this is the only pain that I can relate to the marathon because my hand came out of the door and went up like, you know, one of those foam fingers that you get at American football matches when you're in the crowd. My hand ballooned to the size of my face. I remember (laughs) running to uh, Starbucks, which on this particular day didn't have any ice in the building. I do not know how our relationship survived this (laughs) incident, but it's certainly not a couch on the head. I don't know. Has there been a couch on the head incident in in your marriage? I, I can't really think of anything. I'm sure there's a good chance I probably did something. <laughs> yeah. right? You get Nick on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, I, and you would probably remember it too. <laughs> I, don't, I don't tend to remember these things. I just kind of like, you know, 
okay, I'm mad in the moment, but then I've totally forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah. and, um, whereas Nick, he would definitely remember things like they were yesterday. And yeah. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> yeah, well, Tina actually has a bit of an issue with her memory on account of uh, her own health issues. And she maintains that's one of the reasons why our relationship has lasted, because she just can't remember all the shit that I've done wrong in the past. I need to get on to <laughs> Rona Dempsey. Uh, I will say this, honey, we both know I had a bad day in Dublin, and a lot of you did. I mean, so many of these emails are from you guys going, look, Jar, I lived it too. Nobody had the day that Rona Dempsey had at the Dublin City Marathon. Hi, Jared, thanks for your account of the Marathon podcast. Uh, heavily related, but apart from one aspect, she says, which was you finished the race. I thoroughly enjoyed the first 18 miles, but had started to feel unwell by around mile 19 and had to walk around 20 and 21 in the cold pissings of rain. Thankfully, some absolute angel at the side of the road gave me a rain poncho. What a hero, first of all, anybody that is there with spare rain ponchos. She says, I'm very lean, kind of a greyhound breed, not designed for the cold. By mile 23, I was vomiting so much bile, a very kind spectator lady walked with me to the first aid tent located at mile 24, where they discovered I was hypothermic with a body temperature of 34 point something degrees. And there, ended my Dublin marathon shivering and wet wrapped in two tinfoil blankets with lovely paramedics who couldn't have been nicer my husband who had earlier got dressed up in a singlet ready to run before deciding 20 minutes before the start of the race that his leg was too sore to run it so he had to circumnavigate the course on a Dublin bike to come and collect me with warm dry clothes <laughs> a cup of Barry's tea with sugars in Mary and Tesco was what required before I could trudge a half a mile back the wrong way around the course to get the bus home gets worse you think that's, you think that's bad you would go what a tough day <laughs> when we returned to the apartment we found that our three year old had early been out uh, waiting for, he'd been out on the course waiting for his mammy to run by he is lying across our friend's lap on the sofa with a raging temperature like nothing you've seen before I think trying to compensate for his mother's hypothermia this temperature will not go down Sonia so they end up going to Temple Street thankfully they get discharged at 11.30pm so what began as two marathon runners and a spectator ended up with a did not start, a did not finish, and a trip to the hospital. It was so <laughs> bad, she says. So it was almost funny. funny. Yeah. She said, I ran Dublin twice before, and the first time I ran it, I vomited at around mile 22, but because the weather was fine in 2009, I was able to finish. The second time was 2011. It's happy days, no vomiting, ran all the way home. Anyway, really related to the misery you described, except I didn't get to say that I finished. I'm sorry. It was awful for you too, and I'm genuinely glad that you made it to the finish line. There is no gap uh, in your equivalent Garmin pick that she sent me. I don't feel there's much I could have done about a body temp of 34, so I don't really feel like a quitter. I participated in the Dublin City Marathon. Simple as that. Well done to you, Rona Dempsey. Absolutely brilliant. What a what what an ordeal. Do you have any? Anything even close to that, Sonia, in terms of bad days outside of the Olympics? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's always, I think there's more stories and drama when things don't go wrong than when they 
when when they don't go right than when they yeah, do go right. Hundred um, percent. Like the story is greater. It's inflated more, and it's like one thing after another. Um, but no, I always look at things like this, and you kind of think if something bad goes wrong on a day, that you know, and then and then so a second thing goes wrong, you think, oh shit, there's one more because these things come in trees, right? <laughs> no, I don't know why this is. Yes. But, I had a funny story last week and it's kind of not really related, but I was going to um, watch Sophie in a race up in Washington last weekend and I was driving there and I'm trying to remember now what happened. I know I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this be, uh, so this was like over a week ago. And so I went really early in the morning for me, seven o'clock in the morning, I headed off. It was dark and I had plenty of time because I was going so early then because of no traffic. So I decided I was going to stop for a coffee on the way mm-hmm. um, in this town called Olympia. Um, and everything there is about, is Olympic for some reason. I don't know what it is about it, but it's the capital yeah. city of Washington. And so I went into this coffee shop that I'd been to before. So that was in my sat nav. I pull in, park the car, and I'm just going to sit in and have it because I've got plenty of time. Yeah. So I'm sitting at one of these bench things at the window with my coffee. And next thing, um, this girl behind the counter goes, if you, if you got a Tesla outside, you want to get outside because there's a um, parking inspector about to ticket it. Now, I don't, ha- I don't have a Tesla, but my car is parked next to the Tesla, and I haven't paid for the meter. <laughs> so I'm like, whoop, <laughs> better run out here. <laughs> so I get there anyway while he's writing up the ticket for this guy who's in a loading zone. But I was I was in a parking spot, and all I had to do was put a quarter into the into the meter. So my thing was three things that nearly happened. So I saved myself anyway, getting a ticket. Yeah, dodge then, one bullet. Dodge one bullet. So then I was relieved, you know. And then I'm up. <laughs> there's kind of a backstory on this too, because in America, when you go into a cafe and you order a coffee, and whether you're having it there or to take away, you know, you pay for it. And then they spin the screen around and, you know, if you, if you kind of think you've paid for your coffee and they'll say, oh, it's just going to ask you a question there now. And the question on the screen is, you know, you want to, they want you to tip them for the coffee. Uh, Ah, yeah. (laughs) 15%, 20%, 25%. And, um, so I was having a chat about this with Marcus O'Sullivan recently, and he gave me this thing. He's like, ah, he said, it drives me mad. These things, you know, if you're going for a takeaway coffee, and they're already charging you $5 exactly. for the coffee. You know, how much more do you need? Yeah, and what exact service <laughs> no. have you received? Yeah, go ahead. No, you're not. <laughs> and even in the cafe, they give you the coffee and then they expect you to bring the coffee cup back and put it into the dishwashing thing. They're not serving you at all. And they want you to tip them before you even taste the coffee. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> like, I'm like, I like my coffee. So if it's no good, then I'm not paying extra. Um, <laughs> but Marcus's tip was to just bring a bunch of dollar notes with you or and then you just yeah, put a dollar in so you put a dollar in the jar you know when you're done and then you're happy with your service or whatever rather than automatically adding on the extra tax of um on the screen so anyway so after they alerted me to the parking inspector then i had my little dollar notes so put one into the jar <laughs> as a a tip for the um the barista not just making the coffee but also warning of, um, yeah, exactly. Picking. I thought that was, you know, yeah, worth it. Worthy of a tip and a half. Yeah. So anyway, set part two. I'm driving along and I'm going through this little village by the waterfront. It was a lovely place. 
And the speed limit was about 25, but I didn't even notice this while I was there. And I'm driving along going, it's a bit undulating up and down. And next thing I is a deer comes running out of somebody's garden. What? So to cross the road. So I just stopped, came to complete stop, let the deer pass. And next thing two more deer come out. <laughs> they run across the road. And then as I kind of get going again, in on the right hand side, there's a police car there. Speed check. So I'm thinking, that's my second thing. I nearly got a speed ticket because if the deer hadn't stopped me, <laughs> I definitely would have been going more than 25 miles an hour. So I turned up to the race course and I was thinking, what's this third thing now that's nearly going to happen here that's going to throw me today? <laughs> and, um, you know, and then I'm kind of thinking, oh, I hope, you know, some, something's going to happen with Sophie. She's nearly going to do something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sophie turns up anyway, and she takes her T-shirt off, and she's going to the start line. And the number that she's got on her is 333. And I'm like, oh, that's the third thing. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. But it's so funny because Sophie, when she got that number, she was like, oh, this is a great number. And I always relate to numbers as well like that. So when I reacted like that to her, she was like, oh, that's – like some people don't even – Give they don't even flinch, yeah. something like that, you know. Whereas I'm like, forever, if I look at my watch and it's 22, 22, I'm like, ooh, that must mean something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, 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 Sophie, and Sophie goes, the bit you're leaving out is Sophie goes ahead and wins the thing. The team wins. Um, her team won, yes. Yeah. And, uh, yes, you know, she ran very well, but she very nearly lost a few spots too because she ran so well that she just totally ran out of energy with the finish line in sight. And she wasn't able to do her normal sprint and get past somebody. Um, But she was able to hold her position and not get passed by another person, which probably, you know, saved them since they were only, they only won by two points. So every point counted or every place counted. Well, we, we are hearing about the opposite experiences today on Irishman Running Abroad, your marathon nightmare stories and how Sonia in the second half of the show can advise you to go forward. Some stories aren't all nightmares. Some people have got a pretty good time and are going, well, is that it? Is that my maximum? Like, What does a person do to evaluate their marathon experience to go forward and go somewhere else. It's that Neil Armstrong feeling, the malaise, the marathon dip that's bound to follow a big day like that. Something we need the goat's help to navigate. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad to enjoy full membership and access to the full back catalogue. If you're enjoying this episode, you will love it. One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress, 